0: Alright, welcome back my spooky friends. I am Chappie, your host, and this is Paranormal Stories and Spooky Shiz. I've got a great episode ready for you guys today. Lots of listener-submitted stories from you guys' personal experiences. And I also want to talk about some Navajo legends of the Skinwalker. Buckle up, it's going to be a very spooky episode. Alright, jumping right into our first story, kind of gives us a background of what a skinwalker is, and then we'll get into some different articles about skinwalkers. A skinwalker is said to be a harmful type of witch who has the ability to turn into, possess, or disguise themselves as an animal. The witch is called Lushi by the Navajo. I'm sorry if I destroyed that name. The Skinwalker translation is with it, he goes on all fours. This is just one of the several types of Navajo witches and is considered the most volatile and dangerous of them. In order to become a Skinwalker, an individual must be initiated by a secret society. This initiation is made of some of the evilest deeds, including killing. Only after the initiation is complete, the individual is granted supernatural powers. Some of the forms they take that have been reported are coyotes, wolves, foxes, cougars, dogs, and bears. Any other form of animal can be taken as well. The skinwalker will wear the skin of the chosen animal. Sometimes animal skulls or horns have been added. They could choose what animal they wanted to turn into. This is dependent on the abilities needed for a particular task, such as speed, strength, endurance, stealth, claws, and teeth, etc. They may transform again if trying to escape from pursuers. The skinwalkers are also able to take possession of the bodies of the human victims. If a person locks eyes with them, this is said to happen. After taking control, the witch can make its victims do and say that they wouldn't otherwise do. Once they were shape-shifted, one way that others could tell that they were not a real animal is that their eyes are very different from those of an animal. Their eyes are very human, and when light shines on them, they turn bright red. Skinwalkers also have other powers, including reading others' minds controlling their thoughts and behaviors, causing disease and illness, destroying property, and even death. Some who spoke of their encounters with them describe a number of ways to know if a skinwalker is near. They make sounds around homes, such as knocking on windows, banging on walls, and scraping noises on the roof. On some occasions, they have been spied peering through windows. More often, they appear in front of vehicles in hopes of causing a serious accident. In addition to being able to shapeshift, the skinwalker is also able to control the creatures of the night, such as wolves and owls, and to make them do its bidding. Some are able to call on the spirits of the dead and reanimate corpses to attack their enemies. Because of this, Indians rarely venture out alone. In the 1990s, a ranch in northeast Utah, far away from the Navajo reservation, became the particular or the partial focus of the Skinwalkers. Called the Sherman Ranch, now the Skinwalker Ranch, and the UFO Ranch, this ranch has a history of UFOs, aliens, cattle mutilations, and crop circles. Located near the Ut Indian Reservation or the Ute. Indian Reservation, these people have long thought that the Navajo put a curse on their tribe in retribution for many perceived transgression, and since then, the Skinwalkers have plagued the Ute people. Many have heard the most famous name, the Skinwalker Ranch. Skinwalkers are known to be hard to kill, and attempts are usually unsuccessful. Trying to do so will often result in witch seeking revenge. Successful killing generally requires the assistance of a powerful shaman who knows spells and rituals that can turn the skinwalker's evil back upon itself. Another way tried is to shoot the creature with bullets that have been dipped in white ash. However, this shot must hit the witch in the neck or the head to be effective. Traditionally, the Navajo will not speak with outsiders about these creatures for fear of retribution by skinwalkers. This makes them a very taboo subject among the natives themselves. Ooh. So that's a brief history about it. Let me jump into some articles. Do, do, do. Alright, meet the Navajo Skinwalker, the demonic shapeshifter Native Americans won't mention by name. This is by Marco Maritoff from February of last year. The shapeshifting skinwalker of the Native American legend takes on various forms across tribes, but most agree on what it looks like. A deformed, animalistic body a marred face, and blazing, or, blazing orange-red eyes. The legend of the shape-shifting entity known as the Skinwalker has largely been relegated to a hoax status. After all, it's difficult to believe that a humanoid figure has been transforming into a four-legged animal and terrorizing families in the American Southwest. While unscientific, the Navajo Skinwalker does have deep roots in Native American lore the rest of America got its first taste of the Navajo legend in 1996 when the, Nez- the Deseret Desert News published an article titled, Frequent Flyers. The story chronicled a Utah family's tra- traumatizing experience with the supposed creature that included cattle mutilations and disappearances, UFO sightings, and the appearance of crop circles. But the family's most distressing encounter occurred one night, just 18 months after moving on to the ranch. Terry Sherman, the father of the family, was walking his dogs around the ranch late at night when he encountered a wolf. But this was no ordinary wolf. It was perhaps three times bigger than a normal one, had glowing eyes, and stood unfazed by three close-range shots Sherman blasted into its side. Terry and Gwen Sherman sold the so-called Skinwalker Ranch in 1996, after only having owned it for 18 months. It's been used as a research hub for the paranormal ever since. The Sherman family weren't the only ones to be traumatized on the property. After they moved out, several new owners experienced eerily similar encounters with these creatures, and today the ranch has become a hub of paranormal research aptly renamed Skinwalker Ranch. While paranormal investigators probe the property with novel inventions, that they, what they seek has a history that is centuries old. This is the legend of the Navajo Skinwalker. Right. This is some information we've already covered, but for sake of continuity, I'm going to read it. The Navajo Legend. So what is skinwalker? As the Navajo English Dictionary explains, the skinwalker has been translated from the Navajo Nalushi. Literally means, by means of it, it goes on all fours. And the don- naladushi I know I'm not saying that right, <laughs> is merely one of many varieties of skinwalker called anti... The the Pueblo people, Apache and Hopi also have their own legends including the skinwalker. Some traditions believe the skinwalker are born of a benevolent medicine man who abuses indigenous magic for evil. The medicine man is then given mythical powers of evil that vary from tradition to tradition But the power of all traditions mentioned is the ability to turn into or possess an animal or person. Other traditions believe a man, woman, or child can become a skinwalker should they commit any kind of deep-seated taboo. The skinwalker are described as being mostly animalistic physically, even when they are in human form. They are reported near impossible to kill, except with a bullet or a knife, dipped in white ash. Little more is known about the purported being, as the Navajo are staunchly reluctant to even discuss it with outsiders, and often even amongst each other. Traditional belief portends that speaking about the the malevolent beings is not only bad luck but makes their appearance all more likely. Native American writer and historian. Adrian Keene explained how J.K. Rowling's use of a similar entity in her Harry Potter series affected indigenous people who believed in the Skinwalker. What happens when Rowling pulls this in is we as Native American or Native people are now open, opened up to a barrage of questions about these beliefs and traditions, said Keene, but these are not the things that need or should be discussed by outsiders. In 1996, a couple of outsiders were introduced to the legend after a series of inexplicable events occurred at their new ranch. Again, this is talking about Terry and Gwen Sherman. Not sure why it's circling back to them. Terry and Gwen Sherman first observed UFOs of various sizes hovering above their property. Then seven of their cows died or disappeared. One was reportedly found with a hole cut in the center of its left eyeball. Another had its rectum carved out. Oh my gosh. The cattle the Shermans did find dead were both surrounded by an odd chemical smell. One was found dead in a clump of trees. The branches above appeared to have been cut off. One of the cows that vanished had left tracks in the snow that suddenly stopped. If it's snow... It's hard for a 1,200 or 1,400 pound animal to just walk out without leaving tracks or to stop and walk backwards completely, never miss the tracks they already put. It was just gone. It was very bizarre. Perhaps most terrifying were the voices Terry Sherman heard while walking his dogs late at night. Sherman reported that the voices spoke in a language he didn't recognize. He estimated they came from about 25 feet away, but he couldn't see a thing. His dogs went berserk, barked, and ran back hastily to the house. After the Shermans sold their property, these incidents only continued. The ranch is now fortified with barbed wire, private property signs, and armed guards. UFO enthusiast and Las Vegas realtor, Robert Bigelow <laughs> bought the ranch for $200,000 in 1996. He established the NASA, National Institute of Discovery Science on the grounds and put up substantial surveillance. The goal was to assess what exactly was going on there. On March 12th, 1997, Bigelow's employee, biochemist Dr. Combe Kellner, spotted a large humanoid figure perched in a tree. Detailed in the book Hunt for the Skinwalker, the creature was twenty feet off the ground and about fifty feet away. The large creature lay motionless, almost casually, in the tree. The only indication of the beast's presence was the penetrating yellow light of the unblinking eyes as they stared fixedly back into the light. Kellner fired at supposed skinwalker with a rifle, but it fled. It left claw marks and imprints on the ground. Kellner described the evidence as signs of a bird of prey, maybe a raptor print, but huge, and from the depth of the print, from a very heavy creature. This was only a few days after another er unnerving incident. The ranch manager and his wife had just tagged a calf before their dog began acting strangely. They went back to investigate, 45 minutes later, and in the field in a broad daylight, found the calf and its body cavity empty. Most people know if an 84-pound calf is killed, there's blood spread around it. It was as if all the blood had been removed in a very thorough way. The distressing activity continued well into the summer. Three eyewitnesses saw a very large animal in a tree and also another large animal at the base of the tree, continued Kellner. We had videotape equipment and night vision equipment. We started hunting around the tree for the carcass, but there was no evidence whatsoever. Ultimately, Bigelow and his research team experienced over a 100 incidents on the property, but couldn't amass the kind of evidence that scientific publication would accept with credulity. Credulity. Bigelow sold the ranch to a company called Adamantium Holdings for $4.5 million in 2016. Nevertheless, the research on Skinwalker Ranch is more sophisticated and secretive than ever. There are many stories about Skinwalkers online in such forums as Reddit. These experiences commonly occur on Native American reservations and are allegedly only prevented by the blessing of of a medicine man. While it's difficult to discern just how truthful these accounts are, the descriptions are almost always the same. A four-legged beast with disturbingly human, albeit marred face, orange-red glowing eyes. Those who claim to have seen these skinwalkers also said they were ma- they were fast and made hellish noise. Since taking over the skinwalker ranch at Amantium, has installed equipment all over the property, including cameras, alarm systems, infrared, and more. Most alarmingly, however, are the accounts from company employees. According to Vice, employee Thomas Winterton was one of several who randomly experienced skin inflammation and nausea after working on the grounds. Some had to be hospitalized with no clear medical diagnosis for their condition. This and the following account parallel on some inexplicable events featured in sci-fi shows like The Outsider. As Winterson reported, I take my truck up the road, and as I start to get closer, I start to get really scared. Just this feeling that takes over. And then I heard this voice as clear as you and me talking right now that says, stop, turn around. And I lean out the window with my spotlight out and start searching around to Nothing. Despite the dreadful experience, Winterton reported he isn't leaving the Skinwalker Ranch anytime soon. It's like the ranch calls to you, you know, he said with a wry smile. All right. So, we will take a short break and get right back at it after this. All right. Welcome back. Now we turn our attention to Reddit to read some of the true stories written on there. All right, this one is written by Ronindog Dog three years ago. It's called, My Grandfather Saw a Skinwalker. My grandfather told me of a story once as we sat around a campfire in his backyard. In the cool night of the Arizona desert, the horizon was clear and each star twinkled in the purple sky with a full fat moon hanging low over the mountains his voice was raspy and gravelly the results of a lifetime of smoking cigars and drinking whiskey the fire danced and shined across his wide dark eyes as he settled into his seat ready to tell his story way back when i was a boy about your age he began I lived outside the Apache Reservation with your great-great-grandfather. He had returned from the war and set about raising horses and cattle on a hundred-acre ranch settled between a brambly mountainside with dirt good for growing thornbush and not much else. One night, my mother was sick, and Pa and I took a trip into town about 50 miles away straight through a dry desert, over a washed-out creek, and some abandoned farmsteads. The fire sparked, and a log cracked, jolting me out of the story. What next? I asked. Settle down, boy. You'll hear soon enough. Pa and I were driving in an old Ford pickup truck. I remember it was dark out, inky, and thick with only the lights of our old truck lighting up the road. I remember, too, when the engine began to sputter, and the truck slowed to a jerky stop. God damn it, Pa said, guiding the Ford to the side of the road as it coasted to a halt. Stay here, son, as he stepped out into the darkness, shutting the door with a heavy thud. My window was down, and the cool desert air was breezy and felt good on my hot face and neck. Pa was getting water from the back to cool the engine, and that's when I smelled it. Rotten eggs. Strange, I thought, to smell sulfur in the middle of the desert. My nose also picked up carrion, like one of them dead, bloated cattle that would drop from the heat and lay there until the cows pecked enough holes in their hide to cause the whole thing to explode. It stunk, and I gagged. My skin started to tingle, too, and the back of my neck felt itchy. My face started to get hot. The wind stopped blowing and hung still and heavy, with the stink filling the cab. Pa, I called. Pa. Pa. There was no answer. My heart started beating, and I felt such a fear in me, in my bones, in my chest, boy. I tell you, I've never felt a fear like this, not until Vietnam, and not until I saw men dying around me. I locked the door and reached over for my pa's door and saw a shadow bound across the road. Through the dim beams, the lights across the partly open hooded dome of the hood. Grandfather paused. He spit a wad of tobacco spit off to his side. He looked pensively into the darkness, and I realized I was holding my breath and gasped for air. The night was cool, and I was sweating and clammy. Well, what happened? What about your father? What did you see? He sighed. "'A creature,' he shook his head. "'You have to understand, there were legends, old legends, "'older than the rock cairns out in the valley, "'older still than Crazy Horse and Sitting Bull, "'than the old Indian chiefs and their shamans, "'the Apache, the Hop, the Cherokee, "'and all of them old tribes and first people. "'They told tales, old stories,' About dark engine magic. A deal made with old spirits. A blood sacrifice to gain power, old power. Enough to fight each other and the Spaniards. And later the white men that came for their land and for their women. They called them. He paused. Grandfather took a deep breath and bodied forward into his tale. Across the fire, the sky, the desert, the creek, the moon, the sun, the old mountains, he bodied forward. They called them skinwalkers, shape changers. Old warriors resurrected as skinless men, all sinew and muscle, walking on deer legs with a torso of a man and the head of a coyote. But messed up, boy, long malformed snouts, teeth, like a bow, like a bowie knife. Long arms and standing seven foot, even hunched over. They'd get the old cowboys and the white riders. They'd run through bullets and sabers, part of the Spanish armor, like it was a potato sack. Wily too. They could change their voice to match a person you knew or might know. Boy, that's what I saw. Big and fast and only for a second. It ran across the road, gray and mottled, muscle flexing under its legs, hoofs clomping on the road, stringy muscle hunched shoulders. And it turned, looked right into the cab, looked right into my eyes. And I swear, boy, I swear it grinned at me. I sank into my seat in shock, in fear, shaking. I knew death was near. The air was electric. I smelled ozone and brimstone. The air felt like right before the lightning comes and blows a tree to smithereens, charged and full of power. I yelled for my paw again, but no words came out, just a dry squeak. I was shaking as grandfather told his story. He was still here. I know he lived but the supernatural always fascinated me, and even now, I felt the force of his words. The real power of skinwalkers was trickery. Sure, they could change their voices, and also their skin, but that's why the gods took their hide, so they could never take others. Not for long, the legends say, maybe an hour before the soul of the skin they wore would come looking for their mortal shell before going to whatever hell awaited them. Though I think that getting skinned alive was hell enough, a minute passed in which it in what felt like a lifetime one second in a thousand years. My father's door opened and I jerked my head to the left, putting my fist up to fend off an attack. Son, it's me, my father said before climbing into the cab. He grasped the steering wheel and pulled himself in awkwardly, jerking himself into the seat. I cringed into the corner. I looked at him. I looked hard. Boy, your great-grandfather was a good man. Treated me and my mom right. He fought the Nazis and saw the worst of men in Poland when he freed all those camps. And now I was taking his measure. Is this my father? Do I make a run or do I die? is, Is it him or not? Let's go get that medicine for your mom. He pulled the truck into gear and pulled it out onto the road. And our trip resumed. I guess it was him after all. But how do you know? Was it because he said something about your mom? No, boy, I knew because out of the window, out of the corner of my eye, I seen the beast running, 50 miles an hour, right next to the car, looking at me with them yellow eyes and grinning mouth. I saw it, hunched and angry, running next to us. My paw kept his eyes on the road, locked straight forward. Son, he said, don't look at it. Don't look at it and that's how i knew that he was my dad oh oh my gosh that was a scary one gotta count on reddit (laughs) reddit with the stories man they always got some good ones let's see One more, and then we'll go a short little break. I was in prison for 15 years, and there was a skinwalker in there with us. A little background first, I was serving a 15-year sentence in a penitentiary in southern Arizona. What I was in there for isn't important. During my stay there, there were countless things that happened that no one could explain, and even more, no one wanted to know more about. It all started with a a prison legend. Supposedly, years ago, something awful and unexplained happened in the prison. Every morning we'd be woken up and expected to stand near the front of our cells while guards visually confirmed we were present and accounted for. Apparently, about a year before I got sent there, the most brutal and unexplainable thing happened during one of these routines. A man who had a cell to himself looked very off during his check. When a guard pulled over another guard to help him check it out, they found it wasn't actually the prison they were expecting, the prisoner they were expecting at all. It was a totally different man. This man was wearing the skin of another man over him, loosely fitting, draped over him. Apparently, looked like a real monster. The scariest thing was though was the guy wearing the skin was not an inmate they had no idea how he even got into prison let alone a cell what's worse is they couldn't even figure out who the hell he was he wasn't documented anywhere and what's worse than that they never even found the body of the man of the skin he was wearing pretty grisly stuff i know I realize that's not the go-to definition of a skinwalker, but that's what the prison called him. The Skinwalker. Didn't help the guy, never talked apparently. Anyway, that's what started the whole skinwalker superstition around the yard. Apparently, the guy got shipped to a different spot about a month after it happened, and just about everyone in Genpop felt all better for it. I heard about the story on the second day of my stay. Hell of a story to hear in a place that's going to be your home for the foreseeable future. Now onto the real shit though. Sure the guy was a skinwalker. Or sure the guy, that guy was the skinwalker. But all he did in the long run was get an older an old lifer Navajo in, inmate to tell everyone about actual skinwalkers. It seemed like there was a lot of the prison culture actually revolved around them. Now apparently, skinwalkers are tricky to the point, to point out on the spot, but if you manage to survive around one for more than a minute or two, almost everyone can tell the mannerisms are all off. They can mimic human speech, but not replicate it. They twitch manically. They have an unnatural gait while walking but apparently they got better with experience. The old Navajo guy, his name was Carl, said he was sure there was an actual one among the prisoners, slowly picking us off over the years. He called it the Grand Master Skinwalker at one point. Apparently, he thought it it had human mannerisms down so well that you might not even be able to tell if it was your cellmate for a day or two. It had... It had to be good, he posited one night. He would expect a skinwalker to jump at any opportunity for a kill, but this one realized it had been—it had a revolving door of people to kill coming to it and master, masterfully bided his time, as Carl thought for years. A lot of guys found humor in it. A lot more were on the edge about it. Everyone in, once in a while in the prison, people snapped. Sometimes you'll find your cellmate swinging in front of your bunk, strung up around the neck by his pants leg. Sometimes you just can't take it anymore. But in our yard, people tended to snap in a very special way. It wouldn't be an outburst at dinner or a silent suicide at night. Guys would just stop talking, hunch over, and shuffle around. Any friends they they had would be mostly out of the window, They would turn into a loner during wreck time. They would let their hair hang in front of their face. No one liked to talk about it. Like if they did, it would happen to them next. I felt the same way. I didn't know if it was a skinwalker or just people going crazy, but I didn't wanna find out. It wasn't clockwork or anything, but every time someone snapped in this way, it wasn't more than a couple of weeks before they were shipped off or transferred to god knows where, without anyone knowing beforehand. Then there was the nighttime occurrences. Short, loud bursts of sound echoed through my cell block during all hours of the night on a regular basis. It sounded like a mix of pigs dying, squeals, and nails on the chalkboard. Just another thing no one liked to talk about. Even scarier were the shadows and footsteps. The block was dimly illuminated in the night, by a few lights hanging from the ceiling outside the cells. I myself saw shadows flit across my walls on a regular occasion, and when there were definitely no guards in my cell. One time, near the end of my sentence, I woke up, looked at my back wall, and found a perfect silhouette of a person standing there. And when I looked, my bunkmate was asleep, and no one was outside my cell. And the footsteps. Everyone hated the frickin' footsteps. They were the scariest part. In the night sometimes, more rarely than the shadows, we would hear ungodly fast footsteps. They sounded like a dead sprint. When it was... It was inhuman... Inhumanly fast. If you happened to be awake for it, before it started, by the time you heard the footsteps on one side of your cell and whipped your head around to see the thing run by... It sounded like it was three cells past you. Everyone hated the footsteps. I agreed. I thought they were the worst. I was released from that place about a month ago, and I have more stories I can count than I can count. I swear it was nearly my turn. About a week before I was discharged, my cellmate and a good friend of mine snapped. In the same kind of way, I didn't sleep for an entire week. Well, I did sleep, of course, but never more than a few minutes at a time. Never turned my back on the guy. The scariest thing, I woke up one night to him somehow shaking his body through the bars of our cell. For reference, I couldn't get anything past my shoulder through them. The worst part, though, he was coming back into our cell. On the day of my release, I didn't say a word to him, just left. He seemed fine with it so so was i i'd made it through 15 years of prison fights gang disputes and for all i know skinwalker abductions i left though through the front gates a free man as i walk along the fence of the wreck yard i spotted my cellmate standing off on his own like he had for the last week or so i shook my head not even really sure if it was him anymore i took one last look over the yard this time from the other side of the fence I wish I hadn't. There, standing off on his own, on the other side of the yard, was Carl, slouched over, eyeing the other inmates, twitching manically. Oof. Gross. I don't know what was going around at that prison. I don't want it. (laughs) Alright, let's take a break and then get right back into the stories all right welcome back now along the same lines of skinwalkers let's get into another native american tale about wendigos the flesh eaters of the forest the wendigo was gaunt to the point to the point of emaciation Its desiccated skin pulled tautly over its bones, with its bones pushing out against the skin. Its complexion, the ash gray of death, and its eyes pushed back deep in their sockets. The wendigo looked like a gaunt skeleton, recently disinterred from the grave. What lips it had were tattered and bloody. Its body was unclean and suffering from separations of the flesh giving off a strange, eerie odor of decay and decomposition of death and corruption. In the north woods of Minnesota, the forests of the Great Lake region, the central regions of Canada is said to live a a malevolent being called the Wendigo. This creature may appear as a monster with some characteristics of a human or as a spirit who has possessed a human being and made them become monstrous. It is historically associated with cannibalism, murder, insatiable greed, and cultural taboos against such behavior. Known by several names, Wendigo, Wittigo, Wittico, and witigo each of them roughly translates to the evil spirit that devours mankind. This, this creature has long been known by the Algonquin Ojibwe, Eastern Cree, Salto, West Main Swampy Cree, Nescapi, and Innu people who have described them as giants, many times larger than human beings. Although descriptions can vary somewhat, common to these to all these cultures is the view that the Wendigo is a malevolent cannibalistic supernatural being that is strongly associated with winter. The north, coldness, famine, and starvation. The Algonquin legend describes the creature as a giant with the head of ice. Sometimes it's thought to be entirely made of ice. Its body is skeletal and deformed with missing lips and toes. The Ojiba describe it. It was a large creature as tall as a tree with lipless mouth and jagged teeth its breath was strange was a strange hiss its footprints full of blood and it ate any man woman or child who ventured into its territory and those were the lucky ones sometimes the windigo chose to possess a person instead then the luckless individual became a windigo himself hunting down those he had once loved and feasting upon their flesh According to the legends, a wendigo is created whenever a human resorts to cannibalism to survive. In the past, this occurred more often when Indians and settlers found themselves stranded in the bitter snows and ice of the North Woods. Sometimes stranded for days, any survivors might have felt compelled to cannibalize the dead in order to survive. Other versions of the legends cite the humans who displayed extreme greed, gluttony, and excess might also be possessed by a wendigo thus the myth served as a method of encouraging cooperation and moderation native american versions of the creature spoke of a gigantic spirit over 15 feet tall that had once been a human but had been transformed into a creature by the use of magic though all the descriptions of the creature vary slightly the wendigo is generally said to have glowing eyes long yellowed fangs terrible claws and overly long tongues sometimes they are described as having sallow yellowish yellowish skin and other times depicted to be covered with matted hair the creature is said to have a number of skills and powers including stealth is a near perfect hunter knows the uses of every inch of its territory and can control the weather through the use of dark magic They are also portrayed as simultaneously gluttonous and emaciated from starvation. Windigos are said to be cursed to wander the land, eternally seeking to fulfill their voracious appetite for human flesh, and if there is nothing left to eat, it starves to death. The legend lends its name to the disputed modern medical term Wendigo psychosis, which is considered by some psychiatrists to be a syndrome that creates an intense craving for human flesh and a fear of becoming a cannibal. This psychosis is said to occur within people living around the Great Lakes of Canada and the United States. Wendigo psychosis is usually developed in the winter in individuals who are isolated by heavy snow for long periods. The initial symptoms are poor appetite, nausea, and vomiting. Subsequently, the individual develops the delusion of being transformed into a wendigo monster. People who have wendigo psychosis increasingly see others around them being edible. At the same time, they have an exaggerated fear of becoming cannibals. The most common response when a person shows sign of wendigo psychosis is a curing attempt by traditional native healers. In In cases of the past, these attempts failed. If these attempts failed, and if the possessed person began either to threaten those around them or act violently or antisocially, they were executed. There have been reports regarding this psychosis dating back hundreds of years. In 1661, Jesuit relations document stated, What caused us greater concern was the intelligence that met us upon entering the lake. Namely, the men disputed, by our conductor for the purpose of summoning the nations of the North Sea and assigning them a rendezvous where they were to await our coming, have met their death the previous winter in a very strange manner. Those poor men, according to the report given to us, were seized with an ailment known to, unknown to us, but not very unusual among people we were seeking. They were afflicted with the ne- neither lunacy, hypochondria, nor frenzy, but have a combination of all these species of disease, which affects their imaginations and cause them a more than canine hunger. This makes them so ravenous for human flesh that they pound upon women, children, and even upon men, like veritable werewolves, and devour them voraciously, without being able to appease or glut their appetite. Ever seeking fresh prey, and the more greedily the more they eat... This ailment attacked our deputies, and as death is the sole remedy among these simple people for checking such acts of murder, they were slain in order to stay the course of their madness. Another documented case occurred in 1878 when a Plains Cree trapper from Alberta named Swift Runner suffered one of the worst cases known. Swift Runner was a trader with the Hudson's Bay Company. He was married and the father of six children. In 1875, he served as a guide to the Northwest Mounted Police. During the winter of 78 and 79, Swift Runner and his family were starving, along with numerous other Cree families. His eldest son was the first to die of starvation, and at some point Swift Runner succumbed to the Windigo psychosis. Though emergency food supplies were available at Hudson's Bay Company post some 25 miles away, he did not attempt to travel there. Rather, he killed the remaining members of his family and consumed them. He eventually confessed and was executed by authorities at Fort Saskatchewan. A Wendigo allegedly made a numerous made a number of appearances near a town called Rousseau in northern Manitoba minnesota during the late 1800s through the 1920s each time that it was reported an unexpected death followed and finally it was seen no more another well-known case involving wendigo psychosis was that of jack fiddler an ojai Cree chief and medicine man known for his powers of defeating wendigos fiddler claimed to have defeated 14 wendigos during his lifetime Some of these creatures were said to have been sent by enemy shamans, and others were members of his own band who had been taken with the insatiable incurable desire to eat human flesh. In the latter case, Fiddler was usually asked by family members to kill a very sick loved one before he turned wendigo. Fiddler's own brother, Peter Flett, was killed after turning wendigo when food ran out on a trading expedition. Hudson's Bay Company traders and the Cree and missionaries were well aware of the Wendigo legend, though they often explained it as mental illness or superstition. Regardless, several incidents of people turning Wendigo and eating human flesh are documented in the records of the company. In 1907, Fiddler and his brother were arrested by the Canadian authorities for murder. Jack committed suicide, but Joseph was tried and sentenced sentenced to life in prison. He ultimately was granted a pardon, but died three days later in jail before receiving the news of his pardon. Among the Asinibon something, the Cree and the Ojibwe A satirical ceremonial dance is sometimes performed during times of famine to reinforce the seriousness of the Wendigo taboo. The frequency of Wendigo psychosis cases decreased sharply in the 20th century as Native Americans came into greater and greater contact with Western ideologies. However, Wendigo creature sightings are still reported, especially in Northern Ontario, near the Cave of the Wendigo, and around the town of Kenora, where it has allegedly been spotted by traders, trackers, and trappers for decades. There are many who still believe the Windigo roams the woods and prairies of northern Minnesota and Canada. Kenora, Ontario, Canada has been given the title of the Windigo capital of the world by many. Sightings of the creature in this area have continued well into the new millennium. Well... That is terrifying. So, listeners, it sounds like although this is a legend and although it's, you know, of a skeleton, uh, bloody creature 15 foot tall that eats human flesh, there's actual documented cases of humans getting this illness which is like really, really scary because then it is it mental illness? Is it demonic possession? Why always the hunger? Why always the hunger for other people, the cannibalism? Like that's a side effect. <laughs> like how can it be that common? You know, it's weird and I don't have an answer for you, but let's get into one more Crazy creature, and then we'll get into some of you guys' stories. And we'll take a break and get right into that next story. All right. Of course, let's go to Reddit and give you a Wendigo story that is supposedly true. This one was uploaded by North Coast 10 four years ago. It is called. I think I encountered a wendigo. My wife and I have been running at the rat race for years, with a family, a house in the city, two dogs, and a cat, the stereotypical American dream. But the city took its toll, the neighborhood got worse, the crime rose, and we found ourselves looking for a way out. Our opportunity came when I was offered a new job out of state. It was a great career move, but we didn't want to move to a new city, just to have the same problem again. So we started looking around and found a great mountain community about an hour and a half from the job and a great ranch style house with a big back porch, windows everywhere, and a lot of property. The backyard was a big grassy area and a creek that cuts the property in half, then acres of woods beyond. It's huge. The house is more than twice the size of our house in the city. It's all updated and has no neighbors within a mile. It's a radical change from the life we lived in the city, but best of all, it was less than an, less than half of what we were paying for our old house in the city. The house was a foreclosure, and when we asked the listing agent about it, she simply said the old family had abandoned the property. We didn't think anything of it. The first few months were uneventful, with us settling into our new life, the kids getting used to the new school, new friends, and most of all, getting used to the big house and property. And then the weather turned cold. Things started to get weird on the property. It started with noises from the back property, things we chalked up to being the woods. Then the motion lights around the house started going off randomly. Once again, we chalked it up to being in the woods. But last night, it all changed. Last night was the most terrifying night of my life. One of the dogs was at the back door whining and scratching, and I assumed he needed to go to the bathroom, so I grabbed my flashlight and walked out the back door. Instantly, something felt off. The dog bolted for the back property, growling and snarling. It was a cold night, about 30 degrees, but the dog plunged straight into the creek and out on the other bank, running off into the woods in the back property. Flashlight bouncing, I ran after him, calling his name. I got to the creek and made my way across the makeshift bridge, trying desperately to follow him. I could still hear the dog growling and barking from somewhere up ahead. I pushed further away from the safety of the house and deeper into the woods. That's when I heard it. A shriek like I've never heard in my life. It was a mix of a moaning wail and metal on metal. It echoed through the trees and froze me in my tracks. My dog bounded its way back to me and cowered down beside me. I turned around and could just make out the warm glow of the house behind me, the cold dark ahead of me. I swung my flashlight around wildly, looking for the source of the noise, and that's when I heard an even more terrifying noise. Out of the silence, my wife's voice floated all around me. Babe, babe, babe. She called out. The voice called out. I whipped back around and could just barely make out the image of my wife, safely inside our house. But the voice in front of me called out again. Babe, I'm right here. I'm right here. Came the voice from deeper in the woods. And then another voice, just as clear as the other. It was my dad's voice. Come out here it called i swung the flashlight around again and this time caught the briefest glint of light bouncing off of eyes the creature was in my beam of light for barely a second but it was tall maybe six feet and ashen white It had long spindly fingers that grasped the trunk of the pine tree and then it was gone i turned back and ran toward the house i ran headlong into the icy creek and stumbled My dog ran past me, making it to the backyard and up the porch. I dug my hands into the freezing, muddy bank and pulled myself out, not stopping to look back. When I reached the porch, I scrambled inside. My wife ran over to me, asking what happened. I just shook my head. I'm not certain myself what happened. I had a growing sense of dread tonight as the sun began to fall. We kept the dogs inside, and I haven't dared look out the back. But I sit here typing, one by one, my motion lights in the backyard keep going on. Oh my goodness. <laughs> wow. That's scary. There's a uh, information post. On here that I'll I'll read to you guys. Looks pretty informative. There's a lot of misinformation on the subreddit NoSleep, especially when it comes to Wendigo and Skinwalkers. I will do my best to provide clarification on what these entities are and their differences. Hopefully by the time I'm done you'll be able to recognize and differentiate between all three of these entities and correct someone politely of course when they make the wrong call. You can link the post as evidence when they don't believe you. Skinwalkers take the shape of animals that they have killed. They can only take the shape of a human when they've killed one and worn its skin. And even then, it's immediately obvious that something is up. Skinwalkers can't do imitation of voices or animal sounds. They just have to their distinct cry or moan. Skinwalkers come after come to be after murdering a relative in cold blood. Think of skinwalkers as the Sith from from Star Wars. They turn to the dark side through hate and killing, which can also include killing family members. And once they are a Sith Lord, (laughs) or a skinwalker, they are given a new name and shed all ties to their previous life. We can take this parallel one step further. In order to kill a skinwalker, it must hear its full name from when it was human. Vader came back to the light side of the Force and died when he remembered who he was, after Luke called him out. Enough Star Wars references. (laughs) Wendigo possess the ability to mimic human voices, but not their appearance. They are characterized by an insatiable appetite and will not stop hunting a target until they've eaten their prey. The reasoning behind their insatiable appetite is that their stomach will constantly grow bigger, After eating no matter what so even though they just ate the stomach will expand even after their meal enough to make them super hungry right away hence the constant need for human flesh the growing stomach also explains their appearance absolutely huge and muscular but with almost contradictory aesthetic of emaciation they will hunt relentlessly using every tool they have which includes mimicking the voices of loved ones, usually in the forms of cry for help, to lure people from safety. They can also possess people with what's called Wendigo fever, which basically passes on the insatiable appetite to the host, as well as causing terrifying nightmares. They cannot, however, shapeshift, no matter how many people on no sleep think so. Wendigo come to be by indulging in cannibalism, usually the flesh of a close friend or relative. Think of Wendigo like Predator from the Predator movies. <laughs> Windigo can mimic other voices, are basically the apex predator on the top of the food chain, super stealthy and agile, incredibly hard to kill, and have a huge toolbox in with which to hunt from. When people think of Wendigos that can chip shave, they're actually thinking of imposters. Imposters can do the whole voice imitation thing and they can transform into anyone, anybody, living or dead. Their voice imitations are, I believe, limited to things they've directly heard, which is why sometimes it sounds like they're using a soundboard of someone's words to construct a sentence and why the cadence and rhythm of speech is off. Think of imposters as Christopher Walken. Great at acting, looking the part, but with very weird speech patterns. Whoa. In all serious, though, the original poster is probably dealing with a Wendigo because the creature didn't take take the appearance of his wife. Had it been someone looking like his wife in the woods calling to him, then it could have possibly been an imposter. But since it's probably a Wendigo, this thing the original poster marked for consumption has been marked for consumption and it won't stop until it swallowed every bite of you huh man that's fun my gosh that's scary all right let's see what we're doing on time still good All right, let's hit one more story, one or two more stories about another myth, possible true, the Chubacabra. This comes from BBC.com, written by Josh Gabatis, November 10th, 2016. Everyone loves a good monster story. The problem is monsters almost always insist on living in faraway lands, at the bottom of lakes, or in deep depths of forests. While this adds to their mystique, it is little wonder that our knowledge of them comes exclusively from grainy photos and unreliable witness reports. This is what drew Benjamin Radford to the Chupacabra, a supposedly vampire-like creature. Its roots are in Latin America but stories about it have since spread to the rest of the world, including his native New Mexico. This was a much more local mystery to me, said Radford. I didn't have to go to Inverness or Borneo. It was right there in my backyard. Helpfully, the chupacabra also seemed to be less shy than your average monster. That meant Radford had a good chance of figuring out whether or not it was real tales of the chupacabra first emerged in Puerto Rico in the late 1990s. He described the bipedal creature, 4 to 5 feet tall, with large eyes, spikes down back, and long claws. This beast, people claimed, was responsible for killing and draining the blood of livestock, an act that earned it its name, which is Spanish for goat sucker. In his extensive investigation, which took a total of five years, and saw him travel as far as the jungles of Nicaragua. Bradford even located the person who first reported the beast, Chupacabra Patient Zero. Her name was Madeline Torletino, and she comes from Canovas, a town in east of Puerto Rico. In 1995, she spotted the scary alien-like creature Outer Window. What is remarkable is how fast the story traveled. After more reported sightings, the link became substantial. Substantially the links made substantially in the media with livestock have been found drained of blood, the legend of the chupacabra spiraled out of control. First it spread around the island, then the rest of Latin America and into the southern US states. It also flourished online and there was latched onto UFO enthusiasts and conspiracy theorists. Then in the early 2000s, a different chupacabra arrived on the scene. This one, some traits of earlier sightings, but was less alien. This time it was described as a hairless dog-like animal walking on four legs. Unlike most monsters, this type is not based exclusively on sightings. Chupacabra bodies have reportedly been found. When Radford, a research fellow in the Committee of Skeptical Inquiry, got wind of this, he recognized a unique opportunity. Between the dead livestock and the actual specimens, he had the makings of an unprecedented scientific investigation into a creature that had already achieved infamy on par with Bigfoot and the Loch Ness Monster. This was a story he could really get his teeth into. When you have a body, everything changes you have DNA samples, you have bone samples, you have morphology. As with all his missions, Radford approached the Chupacabra with an open mind, employing what he calls investigative skepticism, conducting fieldwork and collecting evidence and interviewing witnesses. I was, of course, initially skeptical of the creature's existence. At the same time, I was mindful that new animals had yet to be discovered. I didn't want to debunk or dismiss it, if the chupacabra was real, I wanted to find it. The obvious place to start was with the chupacabra bodies. These have mostly turned up in Texas and other southwestern U.S. states, and Radford had recorded about a dozen in total. They were quite horrific-looking, hairless with a gaunt appearance and burnt-looking skin. However, DNA tests revealed a pretty mundane reality. The bodies had invariably turned out to be coyotes, dogs, or raccoon, barring one that was actually a fish. (laughs) But despite these clear DNA evidence, the version of events is a little fishy. People who have found and often shot these creatures were usually ranchers or rural folk who should recognize a coyote when they see one. So where does the confusion come from? The reason these animals get identified as chupacabra is because they lost their hair owing to a sarcopic mange. Sarcopic mange is caused by an itch inducing mites burying into the upper layer of skin. It is very common. Specialists agree that this disease can be sufficiently gruesome to produce convincing monsters. The mangy dog is typically very sparse-haired and nearly bald, with red or hyper-pigment black thickened skin, he explained, adding to the self-inflicted wounds of scratching and a hairless body. You have yourself a chupacabra. ch Alright, quite often the animal will then die from internal hemorrhaging with no other injuries apart from puncture marks. And while, thanks to Dracula, puncture marks in the neck tend to be associated with vampires, Bill Shutt of the American Museum of Natural History in New York says unequivocally that this is not how real-world blood-sucking creatures actually behave. Blood feeders are looking for blood that's close to the surface of the skin something not found in the jugular vein, for example. In fact, we compare characteristics of real blood-feeding animals such as vampire bats with those of the chupacabra, and there are hardly any similarities. Vampires, according to Shutt, are small, stealthy, with specialized teeth and digestive systems that allow them to extract nutrients from the blood. The creature the size of a dog would starve to death pretty quickly on a blood meal, he said, owing the lack of essential components such as fat. Besides the presence of telltale marks, Radford thinks he knows why the worried ranchers might attribute death of their animals to a blood feeder. Having found a mysterious corpse, they would examine it and cut into it, expecting blood to spurt out, but they would be surprised. When an animal dies, the heart and blood pressure stop. The blood seeps into the lowest part of the body, and it coagulates and thickens. It's called lividity. And it gives the illusion that they've been drained of blood. So if all the mythology surrounding Chupacabra actually comes down to a fairly commonplace natural phenomena, why do these stories live on with vehemence vehement as today? Bizarrely, Radford said it, might have something to do with the anti-U.S. sentiment found across Latin America. This is particularly true in Puerto Rico, which is in the unusual position of being a non-state territory of the U.S. I spoke to several Puerto Ricans who felt that the U.S. had exploited, shortchanged, and ignored the island in economic and many other ways. Most recently, this resentment has played out in the island's ongoing debt crisis. As for chupacabras, there are many Puerto Ricans who believe they're another indication of American exploitation and meddling. The results of top-secret U.S. scientific experiences taken place on El Unique Yunk Rainforest, not far from Torletino's hometown. This may be one factor, but the spread of such stories are largely attributed to the Internet. I would classify the chupacabra as the first Internet monster. If the first settings had been in 1985, a couple of people would have heard of it, but it wouldn't have gone viral and spread across the world. Redford points out the myth has changed rapidly. The original chupacabra has spikes on its back, big eyes. Then over the years, the idea of what it was became bigger and bigger, until so you now have a mangy dog called a chupacabra. Now people on Google and search go on google and search mysterious animal attacking things it's self-perpetuating and what about the initial sightings have anyone explain having explained away this mysterious specimens and how they operate what does radford think of tor latino to come up with such a story in the first place the answer is unexpected radford noticed that tortellino's 1995 description was similar to the alien from 1995 movie species which had recently been released in puerto rico in which she had watched the film was set in present day it revolves around top secret u.s scientific experiments it was partially filmed in puerto rico it's all there she sees the movie then later sees something she mistakes for a monster said radford while he is careful to clarify he does not think any of the witnesses are lying he does suggest that this sighting could simply have been the result of an overactive imagination. Even today, while it's difficult to assess the extent of which people still believe in the chupacabra myth, it remains a widely discussed monster, not only in Puerto Rico, but also the rest of the world. In recent years, chupacabras have been reported afar as far as Russia and the Philippines. From my perspective, there's absolutely no reason to believe that anything is out of the ordinary involved in the attacks on livestock. All right, so I like to share that story just because this guy that spent five years investigating it came up pretty much empty. Um, And, you know, it describes pretty much like a movie that had come out recently or dogs with mange, stuff like that. But overall, it's not been a proven animal. No sightings, no anything like that. So we're going to chalk this one up to a myth until, tr- until proven otherwise. Although, of all the fantastical things that we've described today, even with the true stories, I would say the chupacabra is probably the most likely, just because I'm one that kind of believes that we haven't discovered everything that there is to discover on earth, whether that means the spirit connection or, you know, unknown animals that we have not found deep in the jungle somewhere, (laughs) stuff like that. So this one, I don't know what she saw, but she said it had spiky and big eyes and all the rest of that. And I don't know if your active imagination would actually Give you a delusion like that, but who am I to say? So, with that one, is a big question mark. Um, I think it would be exciting to find a creature like that and know it as an actual animal and not anything paranormal, you know, like find out this genus and its species and where it fits in the animal kingdom. (laughs) Sounds pretty cool. Now, the Wendigo Fever, mm, proven cases of people catching it and getting cannibalism, that sounds like demonic activity to me. I don't know, but it just sounds like y'all were messing with some spiritual stuff y'all shouldn't have been. Same with the Skinwalker stuff. It's all very low-vibration vibes, um, and I definitely never want to come across anything like that. But the stories are fascinating. Um But with that in mind, um, even the Navajo will tell you not to talk about such things, um, as you're likely to increase your chances of meeting one, (laughs) at least with the Skinwalkers. But yeah, that's it for today. Um, I will try to put out a new episode soon. Um, I would like to thank all of my listeners. Uh, We have reached over 1,000 plays, so... That's exciting. Very exciting. Glad to hear you guys listening. Um, And next week, we'll get into some ghosty stuff. All right. That's it for me today. And as I always say, stay spooky, my friends.